welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. So I want to start this episode acknowledging the wacky weather and heat waves that Maine and the nation have been experiencing. You couple that with the video that just went viral, the ocean literally on fire from a burst oil pipeline in the Gulf of Mexico. And I got to say, the stark reality of climate change has really been laid bare uh, for us all. And so, you know, of course, these examples understandably build on climate anxiety that many of us feel. And so we're hoping today will g- deliver you a little hope, a little inspiration. Uh, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm speaking today with uh, NRCM's Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, about the latest news impacting Maine's environment. And, you know, here in Maine, the end of the legislative session uh, is on everyone's mind. And you may have noticed we didn't keep to our biweekly schedule, and that's because lawmakers met for a marathon session just before the July 4th holiday to consider, consider veto overrides and make uh, many last-minute key votes, including an exciting vote for one of our top priorities, the bill to require packaging manufacturers to help pay for the cost of recycling programs. So, so we wanted to delay so that Pete could really give you the latest updates from Augusta. And so Pete, can you just give us some of those insights and uh, on how the outcomes of this session are going to affect Maine's environment? Sure. So why don't I just quickly mention uh, the one that you just mentioned, which was the EPR for packaging bill that's extended producer responsibility, assigning more responsibility for the manufacturers of problematic waste. Um, In this case, um, uh, packaging materials that is uh, just a real problem for towns, um, a growing cost to municipalities. They're having to cancel their, their recycling program. So uh, very exciting vote. The House and Senate have, have passed a bill, sent it to the governor's desk uh, that would be, we think, the first in the nation, although Oregon has also passed a similar law, and there's eight other states that are considering similar laws that would help um, fund our recycling programs and assign some of those costs to the manufacturers that are producing that waste. That was a particularly drawn out issue. um, And our top staffer, Sarah Nichols, was at the State House until 4 a.m. on the last day of the session, uh, just making sure that that bill cleared all the hoops and was sent to the governor. Uh, There also on that final day of this session was a, a pretty significant vote in the Senate on the consumer owned utility proposal that would move away from an investor-owned model for our transmission and distribution electricity grid system to one that would be owned by the people of Maine. And we would make the decisions through an elected board. Um, And we have supported that proposal, uh, as have hundreds of people who testified and weighed in. It looked like the bill was on um, 
on track to go to the governor, and then uh, it fell short in the Senate by a vote. Um, and then it was reconsidered with an amendment, and uh, so it now has passed, has gone to the governor. We won't know, probably for a couple of days, uh, whether the governor will sign it or not. And there also was some significant action dealing with uh, a bill um, promoted by citizens in South Portland that would require uh, the measurement of emissions from tank farms right at the fence line. That would be a first in the nation bill. It's been signed into law. And we are pleased to hear recently that the Biden administration has decided to support uh, the city of South Portland in its efforts to uh, protect the Clear Skies resolution that um, will protect the citizens of South Portland and, and um, the waterfront from the possibility of, of tar sands being piped to South Portland. And we've strongly supported that effort. So uh, we were pleased to see both uh, some progress here in Maine and at the national level. Yeah, that was such great news for our friends in South Portland and yet another example of how Mainers stand up to big corporations who are, you know, sort of want to run afoul of Yeah, like of the American Maine. Petroleum Institute. Yeah, right? exactly. Not a small company. No, no, not at all. Well, so as I mentioned earlier, we wanted to spend some time really digging into one of the standout themes from this legislative session, and that was um, climate action. So, Pete, I know there were a ton of bills in play more than 100 by some counts that dealt with climate, clean energy issues. Um, so break it down for us. What got passed into law and what does it mean uh, for Maine? Right, so uh, the dust has mostly settled from this legislative session. There's still gonna be one more uh, day of, of uh, the lawmakers coming back to Augusta on July 19th to consider some veto override bills and, and also an important um, funding bill, which I'll mention. And so the hearings are over, the testimony's done, the floor speeches are over, the votes are done, some bills made to the governor's desk, she signed some, she vetoed some. And so now we really get to assess what happened. And what happened is, is really quite a significant collection of bills that deal with climate and clean energy. Um, and as I step back and look at this top 10, I'm gonna walk through the top 10 because you said there was about 100 and really dozens of bills uh, were signed into law that, that affect climate and clean energy in some way, but 10 really emerged for me as being the top ones. What they're doing, which is significant, is that they're embedding climate change into the actions of state agencies and requiring them in law to assume responsibilities to address climate action in a, in a way that's institutionalizing our work in a, and that's, that's what needs to happen. So let me just kind of walk through some of these. There's um, an important new law uh, signed, in, uh, signed by the governor. It was a governor's bill uh, dealing with sea level rise and it requires state agencies to review all their laws and rules and determine which ones need to be changed to incorporate science-based projections of one and a half feet of sea level rise by 2050 and four feet by 2100. That's what the scientists are projecting. And agencies need to complete their review and make recommendations. And this will result in changes in rules that will help protect our coastline communities and, and affect how, how uh, projects are permitted moving forward and based on science. And agencies are responsible for including that science in their, in their work. That's a great one. So that's one. Number two, um, I really like this one because it's, 
it deals with uh, curbing high polluting chemicals. So the legislature enacted a, a bill signed into law that phases out high polluting chemicals known as, known as hydrofluorocarbons, which are really potent greenhouse gases. They're used in air conditioning, refrigeration, some other applications. These chemicals have hundreds of thousands of times the heat trapping power of carbon dioxide. So beginning in January, 2022, it will be illegal to sell or rent or install or enter into commerce in any way. That's the language in this new law. Um, any product or equipment that uses hydrofluorocarbons, which have these high global warming potentials. And these again are for air conditioning, refrigeration, things like that. So that is prohibiting uh, this particular chemical, a class of them from being sold through products. Okay, and number three um, uh, is an important new law that requires the Maine Public Utilities Commission to consider climate change as part of its mission. And this really gets to that issue of institutionalized responsibilities to address climate. So the, this is a big deal. The PUC's focus by statute has been mostly focused on ratepayers and, and maintaining safe, reasonable, adequate, affordable energy. But this adds to what the POC needs to pay attention to uh, the responsibility of helping reduce greenhouse gas emissions to meet the greenhouse gas emission reduction levels in Maine law. So this is going to require uh, them to think much more broadly about their policy decisions. Uh, we think this is a really good thing. We wish they had had this in their mission before the CMP corridor went through. Um, the, the new law also requires the governor's office of policy innovation in the future to prepare a study on methods for incorporating equity considerations into decisions by the main DEP, the PUC and other agencies and to provide a study to the legislature by next February. This is a good thing. We want our climate and energy policies to be equitable for all segments of and demographics of Maine society. Number four is a new law that establishes stronger energy efficiency standards for eight residential and commercial appliances and lighting products. So this is a great deal. This is a great thing for consumers because anytime there's a new efficiency standard, that means that the appliance that you purchase is going to use less electricity over time. And this is going to establish standards that over the lifetime of the of these appliances will probably save close to $9 million. Um, and that's going to be uh, for appliances that include energy efficient computers, computer monitors. So, so this is a big deal and an important law that's been enacted. Yeah, I think those energy efficiency standards are going to make such a huge difference. And it's an example of how sort of broad the bills in the legislation um, that, the, that the legislature considered was. And Department of Energy estimates that the result of that over the lifetime of these better appliance, better, more, you know, better performing appliances will be a savings of more than $30 billion. So a great example of how we can be, you know, how taking climate on, action on climate is good for the planet, but also good for, you know, people and their pocketbooks or their wallets. Absolutely. Absolutely. So these next two that were signed into law, I kind of bundle them together. They're both dealing with financing. So number five and number six, uh, one is a, a new law that would enable municipalities to adopt ordinances that would enable um, commercial property owners to finance their energy efficiency and renewable energy projects through assessments on the property. 
So this is a creative financing program that's been endorsed by the Maine Climate Council. It was part of the Climate Action Plan because it's been really successful in other states. And uh, these sort of ordinances help commercial property owners overcome the upfront costs of energy efficiency and clean energy projects. And so that's a good thing because it helps them utilize expanded private sector financing. And the other financing mechanism, which we are pretty excited about, would create what's called a climate, I mean, a clean energy and sustainability accelerator. It's also called a green bank to leverage significant low cost private sector capital to support clean energy and energy efficiency projects, but also clean transportation projects and climate resiliency projects. And if, if this green bank, I'll just call it that for now, um, receives adequate seed funding, and there's various ways that money gets into this bank for, um, for uh, investment uh, opportunities, then this uh, mechanism is gonna spur a big increase in climate and clean energy uh, projects. Similar programs have been put into place in other states have been very successful um, and they will use loans and loan guarantees and other financial and risk mitigation um, instruments. So that's a good thing. Number seven is one that we've uh, touched on before in this podcast. It's the law that requires that um, the divestment from fossil fuels by the state's major public employees retirement program. And this bill um, directs the board of trustees of the main public employees retirement system to divest from fossil fuel stocks and securities consistent with their fiduciary responsibilities. And we hope that those responsibilities include divestiture from fossil fuels. The board also must uh, post publicly um, in some form of accessible uh, format, information about its equity investments and disclosure of environmental performance metrics in an annual environmental, social, and government governance report. So we're pleased by that. And that's, uh, I don't know if it's a first in the nation, but it's, but it's a pretty significant step by the state of Maine to require fossil fuel um, uh, stocks to be sold by the, uh, by the public employees retirement system. Yeah, it got a lot of attention and, and, um, a huge shout out to the organizers and the youth at Maine Youth for Climate Justice, who um, I know played a really big role in the passage of that bill. Yeah, yeah, they really mobilized and delivered some fantastic testimony about um, the importance of a, of a future in which uh, we're just severing from, from the stranglehold of fossil fuels on so many parts of our, of our society. Um, we did make, you know, speaking of which, we did make some significant progress on offshore wind development, particularly focused on the floating research array that, uh, that this administration has proposed. So a new law has been uh, enacted that um, directs the Public Utilities Commission to develop a 20-year long-term contract for a offshore wind research array in the Gulf of Maine and has concluded that such a project and such a contract is in the public interest. And so the PUC needs to develop a power purchase agreement for that project with a number of specific energy and cost and contracting parameters, including a project labor agreement that will help ensure good paying jobs for the project. And there was a separate law that's kind of connected to this one that um, it does prohibit offshore wind within state waters, uh, which is the three mile zone out from the shore. 
and it directs the governor's office, the energy office, uh, to establish a offshore wind research consortium that's going to provide advice into the administration about the opportunities and challenges associated with floating offshore wind power projects in the Gulf of Maine. We're talking here about projects that might be at some point, five, 10 years from now, uh, 25 miles out to sea or 50 miles out to sea, and how those can be pursued to avoid and minimize impacts and provide the most benefit for uh, society. Number nine is a bill that um, has not yet quite passed the finish line, but I want to mention it anyway because it's important. So the, the governor came up with a, a plan called the Jobs and Recovery Plan for the distribution of almost a billion dollars in COVID relief funding coming down from the federal government. And there's lots of important pieces of that. And this final spending bill is going to be addressed on July 19th. But I want to mention that within that bill are a number of provisions we support, but one that's really important that would increase support for weatherization by $50 million for seniors in low and moderate income households and schools and municipalities. And that funding could result in close to $100 million in lifetime energy savings, weatherize more than 3,000 homes, probably support close to 500 jobs. So in all of that, while reducing uh, harmful pollution associated with uh, the heating of our homes. So that saves money, reduces pollution, it's a good thing. It hasn't made it all the way to the governor's desk, but we anticipate that it will receive support. And then finally, this one is one that is a little, you know, kind of interesting. It, it's number 10, it creates a Maine Healthy Soils program. So some may think, well, what does soils have to do with climate? Well, actually quite a bit. This new law um, is going to direct the Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry to help spread you know, information about uh, different ways that Maine's farmers can manage their, their land that makes them just as profitable, increases yield, and makes them more resilient and helps mitigate the impacts of climate change. And these climate-friendly agricultural practices that we want to ensure are spread even further include cover crops, reduced tillage, rotational grazing, um, to increase carbon capture and prevent soil erosion and improve water and nutrient holding capacity. And these can help make farms more resilient through uh, droughts and, and other extreme weather events. So that's also an important program and the testimony in support of that bill also was interesting and, and also connects to the Climate Council. So there's my top 10 and pretty much all of these do have a nexus with the climate action plan that was um, adopted last December. And of course, the title of that was Maine Won't Wait. And it looks like the legislature decided that we won't wait either. And we've put in place a bunch of important new laws. Love it. Love it. And it, it just seems like such an enormous amount of work uh, that was done uh, by both advocates, but especially by legislators um, and by legislators who are members of the Energy and Utilities Commission. Um, you sort of alluded to this, but I'd love your just I'd love to wrap up with your quick takeaway on um, uh, as a communicator, the top 10 was perfect. Then what, let's 
take take us take us a step out and how do you see these victories from this legislative session and the big picture of what Maine needs to do um, to tackle climate change? Uh, how are we doing? Um, these were all really important steps, and I think we're starting to build some momentum. So anytime you're able to to um, get ideas, as was the case with the Climate Action Plan, um, turned into bills proposed uh, before the legislature that then receives all sorts of testimony. And to get those through the committees, through the House and Senate, to the governor's desk, signed into the law of the land, and now part of the statutes of, that govern agency actions and enforcement actions, um, that's a really big deal. So it's always pretty impressive for me, knowing how much work goes into passing a law, to see a, a basket full of, of positive laws that all are trying to align our society and our agencies uh, and businesses in the direction of addressing climate head on. Um, so absolute kudos for the lawmakers who worked so hard in, in helping get these bills enacted and for the governor and the administration for their support. Um, but we face just such a monumental challenge with climate change and the transition in our energy systems is beyond uh, anything that, um, that our human society has ever experienced. So, so we need to build on this momentum and we hope that next year we'll have some additional successful uh, bills enacted into law. And we need to um, keep moving forward in tandem with changes in the, um, that are brought forward by um, the car companies and brought forward by financial and companies and insurance companies. And I mean, this is, people have talked about an, an all government approach. We really need an all society approach to deal with climate change. Um, and we hope that these bills are, are sending the message that, that um, the main legislature and this administration are all in and that we're not going to wait. We need to, we need to move. Thanks so much for that insight, Pete. And, you know, without a doubt, Maine has yet again proven it's serious about climate action. It's exciting to hear about all this progress that the state's uh, making. Um, and as I mentioned, the legislature wrapped up. They're going to meet, it, I think, once more, right, Pete? It'll probably, yeah, we think just, we just once think more. once more. On, uh, on July 19th, they're scheduled yeah. to come back. So we'll keep you updated as a, for, for some final wrap-up from the legislative session. Uh, but as always, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, and please don't forget to, if you like what you hear, don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and family. Uh, and um, even though the weather's a little wacky, really wicked hot one day, rainy and cold the next day, I hope you get out there and enjoy it. Thanks again, Pete. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
at NRCM Environment. Until next time, thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.